welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Well, I find this to be a fascinating story on a whole bunch of different levels. Jesus sends out his disciples, as we read, in groups of two. I find that fascinating in and of itself. They didn't go out by themselves to do his work or to do ministry alone, but they went with a friend. And he sent them out to the surrounding villages of Galilee, two by two, to proclaim the kingdom of God, to call people to repentance, which isn't the easiest thing in the world to do, and to demonstrate the power of God, to show people the power of the kingdom and the power of the king, to manifest the reality of Jesus living among us. It says that Jesus gave them authority over impure spirits. I find that fascinating. Here are these 12 ordinary men, nothing spectacular about them, and yet Jesus confers on them a power to go out and somehow to deal with the invisible realm and the spirits of the invisible realm, that the power of Jesus is somehow given to these disciples and they are sent out by his power to deal with these impure spirits and they are sent out empowered by God himself to again manifest, make known, reveal, demonstrate the goodness of the kingdom of God. Another thing, I find fascinating and more specifically relevant to today's topic. Before they leave, he tells them, go ahead and wear sandals if you want to. Shoes are fine. Shoes are okay. But don't take anything else with you except a staff. Think shepherd. Think running metaphor in the Old Testament of the Lord is my shepherd. Shepherding people. You're going out to shepherd people, to if you will, build a flock. So bring a a staff, but don't bring anything else. Don't bring any food. Don't pack a suitcase. Don't bring any money. Don't even bring an extra shirt. He sends them out with nothing. What's going on here? Jesus is sending them out to do his work with nothing to rely on and nothing to sustain them except him and his power. Now, that certainly sounds religious, sounds like something that we would find in the Bible, but Jesus here is teaching his disciples where the power of their work actually comes from. So this is an exercise in faith for these 12 disciples. And in our logical, sort of rational minds, it's hard to fit this in, but this is an exercise in faith for these 12 disciples to go scatter into the various villages with nothing except confidence in God, that he will go with them, that he will provide for their very practical needs, that he will sustain them and bring forth something good from their work, that he will go before them and bring, raise up people who will invite them into their home, feed them, give them what they need, and so on. So they are going out in his presence to do his work, by his power, and they're bringing nothing so they can fully rely on him. And so they realize they are conduits of God's power, but they are not the source of this power. And when they return from their work, this gets into verses 30 to 32 from 
Mark chapter 6. Mark says they told Jesus about everything that had happened. And as we read it, we can kind of feel their adrenaline as they report on how God had indeed provided and how God's power was indeed displayed. Amazing, incredible, miraculous things happened. We're told demons were driven out and sick people were healed. So the disciples are back from an exhilarating ministry experience. They're on cloud nine. They're excited. They're energized. And then verse 31 of what we read says, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And I can almost hear these disciples collectively thinking, what are you talking about? I mean, the crowds are growing. The momentum is rising. Our numbers are increasing. This is the time for us to ride the wave. And wait a minute, let me get this straight. You want to take a break? What are you, nuts, Jesus? We got to strike while the iron's hot. So right in the middle of this booming market, we might call it, Jesus invites his friends and his followers, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus is the greatest teacher in the history of the world. He knows something these disciples don't know. He knows something I don't know. He knows something that maybe you don't know. And that is, he knows how easy it is to get so swept up in the grind of this life and in the demands of everyday work, school, ministry, people, problems, obligations, and in the process, lose our first love. Or say it this way, he knows how easy it is for us to lose Jesus along the way of doing our lives. He knows how easy it is for us to get busy doing many good things, things that please God. But along the way, we can get so immersed in all the activity and noise and chaos and have-tos and shoulds and problems and challenges. We get so buried in the busyness of life, we forget what life is really all about. We forget who we are ultimately. And we lose Jesus. So what's on my mind these days is how I need to have less on my mind these days. Less pressure, less striving, less drivenness, less time spent listening to the shame committee that lives and convenes in my head. Less time listening or worrying about the disappointed voices of real people who want me to be this or that that I'm not. What's on my mind is how I need to step back from the busyness and breathe and rest and rediscover Jesus and who I am in him. What's on my mind then is June, July, and August. And that during these months, I want to accept Jesus's invitation to come away with him to a quiet place and get some rest. Little sidebar. This is going to sound like this is some individual thing for us to do alone with Jesus. And it certainly is that. But this is something also 
to do with others, to be with other people, friends and family, who are pulling away from the chaos of life, just like Jesus invites all 12 disciples, the whole group, to come away with him, to be with him in a quiet place and get some rest. This past week, our daughter from Oregon was here, and one of the nights, our son Sam came over with his fiance, and Izzy was there, and so all of us were there together in our backyard, hanging out, interacting, feet up, music playing, having conversations, this sweet time of just being together. And this whole thing we're talking about, come away by yourselves, is something to do Together On Tuesday night of this last week, Alyssa and her husband Nick and many of the youth leaders came over to our house and we hung out and swam and someone cooked and it's just a wonderful night together. Now, a sidebar within this sidebar, uh, Alyssa and Nick and two other people stayed till 20 to 1 in the morning on a Tuesday night. I mean, seriously? Jesus was long gone by then. He's going... I'm going to bed. You stay here if you want. I had to declare my age at one point and retire to my room because it's a bit much. So this is going to feel a little solo, but hear this in the context of friends and family getting away into a quiet place to be with Jesus. You might resonate with this longing. I noticed this in the first service, this idea of consumed with the busyness and the activity and trying to find a way to get away with God. It's been a long year, and you may be in a space today where you similarly feel like you need to take a step back and breathe and rest and rediscover God and who you are in him. So I'm going to kind of talk to myself in this message. I wish I could tell you I rarely do that, but I do it all the time. I'm going to try to talk to myself and, and sort of convince myself that I need this. I'm telling my stubborn self in this message what I think God is trying to tell me and what I think he's calling me into over the next couple of months. And that is to have less on my mind, to breathe, to rest, to rediscover Jesus. Now, what does all that mean? It means at least two things, at least as far as I'm thinking about it for me. Two things in particular. It means to enjoy God. When the disciples returned from their ministry adventure, it was a frantic time, full of activity. Mark says many people were coming and going, and the disciples were so busy, they couldn't even eat. And Jesus sees all this noise, all this chaos, all this activity, all these to-dos, all these shoulds, all this activity. And he says, now is the time to get away because this is not the way it is supposed to be. People cannot live like this day after day, week after week, month after month. So let's take a break. Come away. And Jesus did this right in the middle of the busyness. So his disciples realized the centrality of their relationship with him above everything else. This was not about their success. Wasn't about what they accomplished. Wasn't about their importance in his plan. Jesus is trying to instill into his followers that God is actually the one who is in charge. Just think about that. He's trying to tell them, look, God is the one who's in charge. And when we sort of start to settle on this, God is the one who is in charge, all of a sudden, it gets a tad bit easier to breathe, to rest, to recover. 
He's the one who makes things happen, not us. And above all else, Jesus wants to instill in them that Jesus wants to be with them. And he wants them to be with him and to know him. So he says to his friends, come with me to a quiet place. As the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks in question one, what is the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, I have a confession to make to you of my own. Not as lofty as the Westminster Confession, but it's my confession. Because of my wiring, I'm sure. Because of my brokenness, I'm sure. Because of the many unformed pieces within me, I'm sure. It is easier for me to accept that my chief aim is to glorify God. I get that part. It's easier for me to think my chief aim is to glorify God and work for him forever. I get that. Or glorify God and serve him forever. That makes sense to me. Or glorify God and hope to appease him forever. Those ideas compute in this unformed mind. But enjoy him forever? Enjoy God forever. Now that is a hard one for me to wrap my head around. When I graduated from high school, the pastor of our church gave us each a little book. And on the inside front cover of the book he gave me, he wrote Psalm 37.4. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I have to confess, I've never really been all that good at delighting in the Lord. I don't exactly know how to do that. But Jesus' invitation to come with him to a quiet place, I think, means in part to be with him and to learn to enjoy his company. And you can probably see how such an invitation collides head on with some of our preconceived notions of who God is and what he is like. Let me introduce you to a guy whose name was Raleigh Cron. He was the principal of my elementary school, and for various reasons, my chief aim was to avoid him. He had these intimidating black-rimmed glasses. He always wore a neatly pressed, perfectly fit, tight, white, short-sleeved shirt with a very crisp and a very tight tie pushed all the way up until it was just about strangling him. And he seemed to prowl the halls of Goodland Elementary School looking for miscreants wherever they may be hiding. One time a group of friends and I were outside playing tackle football in the schoolyard at recess. And this was against the rules of the penitentiary, I mean of the school. And at one point I looked over while we were playing and I saw Raleigh Cron staring out a window at us with his arms folded and his eyebrow raised and this deep, deep disappointment all over his face. And I knew I was going to be executed in the school's electric chair within 24 hours. Dr. Zold was the principal at McKinley Junior High School. I'm sorry, but anyone whose name is Dr. Zold should never be hired as a principal. It's just got a sting to it, and all it is is a name. This guy was high-strung. His doctorate was in punctuality, precision, perfection, and performance. Not really 
but it seems so. He scared the daylights out of me, and my chief aim was to avoid him or appease him. Let me say it this way. I never enjoyed Dr. Zold or Raleigh Crumb. And yet we all know these are some of the distorted images we then project onto God, which makes it really hard to imagine enjoying him. But our distorted perceptions of God are not actually who God is, because God is good. Let me say it this way. Jesus is better than the best friend we have ever had. Jesus is better than the best person we've ever hung around. Jesus is better than the person we love to hang around the most. There's nothing that I enjoy more than sitting in the backyard with my kids there, with Julie there, with Gus there, and we're all just hanging out and we're talking and there's music. There's nothing I enjoy more than that. And here's the thing, and believe me, I'm trying to get this down into this stubborn head of mine. Jesus is better than the people we love to hang out with the most. Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. I keep my eyes always on the Lord, David says. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Notice the the physicality, the somatic side of these words. With my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Maybe we start to enjoy God when we realize he, in fact, is not prowling prowling around the halls of heaven trying to catch us doing something wrong. He's not watching us with his arms folded and his eyebrow raised. He is actually good. He's actually gracious. He's better than the best person we've ever spent time with. More loving, kinder, gentler, holier, more patient, more gracious, a better listener more understanding, more truthful. He's better than the best person we've ever been around. Now, I know that here. I want to know it more here. Maybe like a good friend, he wants to do things with us that we like to do. That's just a new thought for me. He likes to do things with us that we like to do. So Jesus in Mark 6 invites us to get away with him But I think he wants us to invite him to get away with us as well. Come with me, Jesus, as I go for a walk. As I sit by the fire. As I laugh with people I love. As I sit and eat good food with someone I love. As I share stories with people I love. Come with me, Jesus. I mean, Jesus did all this stuff on a regular basis with his friends around fires at night, eating food, laughing, telling stories. He did this on a regular basis with his disciples, and I think he wants to do it 
with me and maybe with you. So I and maybe you learn to enjoy his company. I'm golfing tomorrow with a few friends. And this is weird. You're going to think I've lost it, and maybe I have. But I plan to invite Jesus. I've never done this before. I plan to invite Jesus to come with me as I golf. Maybe I'll play better. I better watch what I do when I don't hit a good shot. But that's another subject. We won't get into that. Could it be that Jesus likes that I'm golfing tomorrow? Now, you put that in whatever formula you want that works for you. Could it be that he actually likes that tomorrow I'm going to go golfing? Could it be that he'll actually be riding along with me tomorrow as I golf? Could it be that Jesus is golfing with me tomorrow and we're going to hang out while I'm there? I have to tell you something, a confession. I need a whole new brain in order to think of him this way. And I'd like to find that brain wherever it may be sold. In recent months, I found a place here in Folsom that has helped me learn to enjoy God just a little bit more. This place has become a bit of a refuge for me within our town. It's five minutes from where I live. There's rarely anyone there. It's a quiet place. It's a beautiful place. Gus and I go there on a regular basis just to hang out. And in that space, I have on occasion encountered God in a fresh way. Absolutely nothing dramatic, nothing to call the Folsom Telegraph about. But in that space, for those few minutes, I've been reminded of God's gentleness and God's goodness. He's very much unlike my perception of Raleigh Cron. Now, Raleigh Cron was probably a fantastic guy. My perception was totally wrong. But I'm finding in this space that God's gentleness and goodness and love is refreshing and renewing. And all the problems, the challenges in life, the uncertainties of church, the obstacles, the stuff we have to deal with, the to-dos I have, the have-tos, the shoulds, they all sort of fade in the background, even for a few minutes, as I'm reminded in that space of who I am in Christ. I'm reminded in the words of Dallas Willard that I am an unceasing spiritual being with a glorious future and God's great universe. That's exactly the kind of thing that'll cause you to exhale and rest and breathe. And at times in that space, I've enjoyed being with God. I need to keep experimenting. So the first question that maybe you want to take into a friendship or in your family, something to think about, it's in the app. What word do you instinctively fill into the blank? Blank God. Fear, obey, avoid, appease, disappoint, enjoy, or something else. Second and last, Jesus' invitation means I need times in my life where I rest and do nothing. I read an article this week about a rapidly growing app called Calm. This thing is growing like crazy. People from all walks of life are realizing the need to slow down and breathe and recalibrate. And this app, some way or another, helps them do that. I was getting coffee at a Starbucks recently, and they're looking to hire. And the sign was showing all the benefits for working at Starbucks said, one of the lines was something like, free access to online meditation resources. 
This thing is kind of in the air in our culture. And these are interesting developments in a culture that for so long has been hooked on relentless productivity and accomplishment. A culture where busyness is so often a badge of honor and a sign that our lives matter. Long time ago, Jesus said to his frantic and rather frenzied friends, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. This is the king of the universe who's got a short stint with his feet on this dirt. Three years. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Oh, and by the way, let's go do that right at the peak of where the buzz is and the adrenaline is and the surges. The great Christian thinker and writer Henry Nouwen identified three of the typical ways we answer this sort of existential question, who am I? You've had that thought. I've had that thought. Nouwen offers three answers to that. Not answers we would ever verbalize if asked, but answers that represent embedded values and paradigms that are within us, and we live them out probably subconsciously. Who am I? Some people say or some people live as though they are what they do. I am what I do. Performance, production, accomplishment, what we do defines us. So failure or underperforming is simply not an option and is to be avoided at all costs. I am your opinion of me. That's a big one. I am what you think of me. Therefore, I need to live in such a way that you think well of me. Affirmation doing whatever we have to do so we aren't rejected by those whose opinion we value. Or thirdly, I am what I have. Our status and stuff and success defines us. And we can probably relate to one or maybe all three of these, which is why I would suggest we need the spiritual practice of resting and doing nothing. Obviously, it doesn't mean rest and do nothing all the time. We have jobs and other things to attend to. And I don't mean do nothing and rest when there is nothing to do but rest. This is very important. I don't mean by this, do nothing and rest when there's nothing else to do but rest. Here's what I mean. I mean, make time, however brief or long it may be, to rest and do nothing even though there is plenty to do. So we're traveling in a narrow lane here. Not everybody can do this for various reasons. In some ways, this is a privileged position to be in, to be able to choose to do nothing because bills need to be paid, etc., etc. So I'm talking here to a general category of activity addicts of which I count myself among them. People are never able to sit still, never able to rest, never able to just be, never able to unhook from their phone always having to respond to text messages, always feeling like they can't be unconnected, never any downtime, people like that. Never time where we relax and rest our minds and rest our bodies and simply be with God without distractions. See, for some, resting and doing nothing belongs in the category of a mortal sin. I know some people who think like this. Oh, I couldn't do that. That's the line. Oh, I can't do that. Really? You can't do that? Or you've trained yourself not to do that? See, 
it goes in a mortal sin, resting and doing nothing, especially when dishes need to be done, yards need to be maintained, bills need to be paid, clothes need to be folded, emails need to be reviewed, news needs to be read, TV needs to be watched, the latest Facebook post needs to be responded to, and the latest Instagram picture needs a like. So we can't let it go. We can't step away. See, we get something from our busyness. Makes us feel like we matter. So back to what Alyssa said. We end up treating boredom like it's a sickness we never want to have. See, most of us have two good friends. One name is busyness. The other's name is distraction. Our distractions keep us from boredom. Boredom is the great thing we're trying to avoid, so we think. Our distractions really, however, keep us from facing ourselves. They keep us from feeling our pain. They keep us from admitting our loneliness. They keep us from dealing with our discontentment that just rages through us. Our friends, busyness and distraction, in other words, quiet the turbulence that stirs within us. So we invite our friends' busyness and distraction to whisk us away into activity and chaos whenever anything slows down enough and we're able to actually just be, we invite busyness and distraction to carry us back into activity. And in the midst of all the noise, maybe we can hear Jesus' whispered invitation, come away by yourselves and get some rest. Rest and do nothing. Downtime. Sitting with the tensions. Sitting with the stuff that bubbles up when we're not doing anything. See, this is the way that we pry ourselves loose from those three false selves Nowen talked about. I am what I do, I am what you think of me, and I am what I have. This is the way we break their grip on us. Or in the language of Psalm 23, 1 through 3, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. I have a bet to make with you. I bet that what most of us need today, or a good percentage of us, more than just about anything else, is some time to rest and do nothing. The mess will be there when the rest time is over. After you have some downtime, I assure you there'll be plenty to do. But imagine making time today and some ample time this summer to live in the reality of this phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And he invites me to lie down in green pastures, to stroll ever so slowly beside quiet waters, to refresh myself in his refreshing spring, to be renewed, to be refreshed. I think many of us need the practice of resting and doing nothing more than just about anything. So question number two. What do you feel about the idea of having much to do, but now and then making the choice to rest and do nothing? I'd like to ask you to close your eyes as we prepare ourselves to come to the communion table. And we've done this before. We've reflected on this before. We have considered this before. But there's a beautiful phrase in Psalm 46 that so wonderfully and perfectly captures what we're talking about today. 
And the phrase is to be still and know that I am God. I just want us to sit in that for a second. To be still and know that I am God. See, the beautiful sound of these children in this room is the sound of two people who have not yet been twisted into thinking they have to prove anything. They're just being. They're just being who they are. Singing made-up songs. Stringing words together that in our ears mean nothing into their ears is a symphony straight from the angels. See, we've lost that. They're at play. They're completely at ease. They're still. And they're delighting. Be still and know that I am God. You know, when we do this, at least me, things start to loosen up. Let me say it this way. When we kind of retreat into that quiet place, we start to let go of things that we don't even know have a hold on us. We let go of all the expectations that we feel burdened by. Tell you another thing we let go of. We let go of the people and the voices that we've disappointed. The people and the voices who want us to know that we've disappointed them. We let go of that. It doesn't have a grip on us. We let go of this idea that our identity is wrapped up in our next accomplishment. I think what Jesus was doing was inviting his disciples to step away from all the chaos and the activity, as good as it all was, and rediscover this childlike being with him, the essence of what it means to be his son or his daughter. Father, help us to learn how to enjoy you. Jesus, help us to see you as better than the best friend we've ever had. Help us to become people who interact with you like we do with the easiest person that we know that we can interact with the one that we go to because we know they'll always listen. The one who has a wise word for us. Jesus, help us to think of you in these ways that open up a space for us to begin to enjoy you.
instead of trying to prove something to you. We thank you for your gentleness, for being our shepherd. We thank you that we can say, even if we don't know what it means, that because you are our shepherd, we lack nothing. Help us to live in the abundance that you offer. Green pastures, still waters, restored souls, deep breaths, long overdue rest, delighting in you. And we pray all this in your name.